Welcome all you good movie buddies to the Popcorn Diet, a podcast for those who live on a steady diet of movie theater popcorn and other movie snacks like your finest beer, please. As always, my name is Rick Williamson, your very best good movie buddy, and joining us as usual is our other good movie buddy, the Canadian machine, Mr. David Malhorn. David, how you doing today? I'm doing great. Yeah? I, I love Shaq. I lo- Wait a minute. What movie did you watch? Wait, hold on. Hold on. Time out. We're reviewing Kazam, right? No, we're not. I thought that's what. No. I, I thought that's what you sent me. No. You said watch Kazam no. for this podcast. Shazam. Shazam. Aren't those the, the same thing? The new movie Wait, Shazam. Is that the one with Sinbad? No. The okay. one from the. No. Isn't there one from the nineties with Sinbad? No. Where no, he's no. like a genie. <laughs> okay. And a well, lamp. Okay. Oh well. Okay. This. I guess this is what we're doing. No, cause okay, Kazam is a real movie from like '94 or something, the '90s, with Shaq. I'm sure, yeah. Go ahead and look it up as a genie whose kid finds him. I only remember one of the one of the wishes was to make junk food rain from the sky, and it was a bunch of Shaq's candy bars. Mr. Big, Mr. Big, Shaq's yep. candy bars. Yep. Um, and Shazam, starring Sinbad as a genie. Does not exist. No, I, I remember it. No, I know you. It does not exist. Is this? Are we going to do a Mandela was, was, effect was, was episode? Was he? Was he the? Uh, doesn't he? Isn't he like the house guest in the? <laughs> I, the only Sinbad movie I remember, I remember too. Although I don't consider Jingle All the Way a Sinbad movie, but it's First Kid, right? You don't remember House Guest? I do remember House Guest, but I connected a lot more with First Kid. Then I did House Guest, and Dude. Shazam didn't ex- the, the Sinbad Shazam did not exist. When he was a genie. Nope. Nope. Did not happen. Did like categorically did not happen. There's but, okay. But we're talking today about Shaq and Kazam, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> we gotta reset. I know that we're coming off the national title game for the for college for the NCAA college troops. We're not talking Shaq. We're not talking Sinbad. We're talking Zachary Levi. We're talking DC. We're talking Shazam! Exclamation point! Superhero big. Oh, big! The movie big with Tom Hanks, but with superheroes. Oh, okay. I know you saw this. Oh yeah, I guess I did. Okay, I know. Well, I mean, even if you didn't, you're going to have to fake it um, because that is what we are talking about this week. Just to clear it up, we're not talking about Kazam. We're not talking about a fake Shazam. Talking about the real Shazam. I mean, here. as I was reading online, it seemed like there was there wasn't a lot of clarity on this. It seemed like there was a lot of confusion. You know, we'll we'll circle back around to the whole Shaq thing, actually. Um, but two two genies. One doesn't exist. <laughs> one has a genie. Other has superheroes. So let's let's start there. But even before we get into Shazam itself, we're finding. DC this year, particularly DC comics, DC movies in general, they're at a bit of a crossroads, in my opinion. Now, you and I have talked about this before. I don't think you near have nearly the level of like existential confusion as I do. Nope. But D- the DCEU, right? Mm-hmm. We have it has been well documented on this podcast how I think DC really screwed the pooch in the way that they tried to jump right ahead to their sure. their giant team building movie without doing the legwork, 
right? We're doing Man of Steel, and then we're do, going straight to be be Batman vs Superman with Wonder Woman in it, and then we're going straight to Justice League. Like they didn't do the work, and it and the d- d- diminishing returns showed. I mean, if you look at the box office, Justice League, aside from Shazam, which was literally just released, what should have been one of the biggest movies ever made, was one is the least grossing film out of all of them. And what's interesting is that. After those movies, they started making movies like this. They started making Aquaman. You got Wonder Woman. You got Shazam coming out now that are obviously Aquaman and Wonder Woman. We'll yet to see how Shazam's box office success does, but they're more well-received not only by critics but also by fans. Um, Just generally more enjoyable films that get away from that gritty, grim, dark, everything's got to be dark and moody and we got to deconstruct our superheroes. Like, no, let Aquaman talk to fish and wear gold gold armor. Let Wonder Woman be a badass. Let Shazam be goofy. And they've been well-received. But yet, we're in this, like I said, we're at a crossroads here because... Shazam is firmly set within the DC universe that Justice League is. I think you and I can agree on that, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. There are a number of references in this film to specific versions of the Justice League characters. Mm. We'll We'll get into some of the specifics a little bit more, but suffice it to say, there are costumes, there are props, there are drawings, there are symbols, there are logos that match the Justice League stuff. Not the people. Correct. But the other stuff, the sure. intangibles, right? Sure. Which to me is always, a, that's my b- biggest issue. And again, this is, we're just touching on it now. We can really talk more about it in spoilers. But the fact that Ben Affleck's gone, Henry Cavill's most likely gone, but not confirmed. The rumors are that Ezra Miller is going to leave Flash. So half of the Justice League is gone while the other half of the Justice League is thriving in terms of the actors and the performers. And then you have... Harley Quinn coming back, Birds of Prey. You have James Gunn sort of rebooting the Suicide Squad. Mm -hmm. You got this crazy-ass Joker movie coming out Mm -hmm. with Todd Phillips directing Joaquin Phoenix. And so it it clearly seems as if they are in this weird purgatory of a connected universe or something different. Does that... I, I mean, I know the answer to the question, but does that bother you nearly as much as it like makes me think about it? Like, I think about it a lot. Well, well here's a couple things. First, never count on Ben Affleck. Wow! Wow! Okay, well, we're gonna just... should it should it have been surprising? This is the end of the some, podcast. That someone like Ben Affleck would not be on for being a character for like a decade. Like that shouldn't be surprising to anybody. Like when they casted him, yes, I thought he could be a, do a fine job. But thinking that he would stick around, especially especially with his backwards and his poorly run as DC is, he's not going to stick around. So why put your money on someone who doesn't need you? You need him more than he needs you. The characters that you've been successful with, even if you look over to Marvel, they needed the breakout that Marvel provided them. Wonder Woman was so successful. Right. Gal Gadot, right? We talked about this. Was right? not successful before. Momoa, Momoa, he was, he didn't even last a season in Game of Thrones. Zachary That's the Levi. biggest thing that he's known for. Yep. Um, Zachary Levi, um, even Ezra Miller. But I mean, Ezra Miller could you could argue Ezra Miller had the most 
the biggest career of those four we just listed prior care about this kind of shit anyway. So <laughs> from that standpoint, like you should have seen this coming. I'll give them a little bit of a break on Cavill, but at the same time, that's their fault. The fact of the matter is he's been Superman since 2013. So right. it's not like he exactly like took off one year after. And he's been in two and a half movies. Yeah. And Affleck has only been around for less than three years. Right. And he's taken off. No so, plan. So that would be my one thing on it. Two, the th- nice thing that DCU always has going for it is it has this concept of different worlds. Yes, um, we've talked about this And too. we've talked about this before. Concept. In the sense that they always have this trump card of if you don't want to piss off people and say all that stuff never happened, you can just say we're on a different earth and right. this is a different one. Like right. the Joker, if, if they want to do this Joker movie and say that um it's in like Earth, what's his name um, or jared leto or jared leto's joker exists and heath ledger's joker right. ex- exists like they can and nicholson's and animated mark hamill's because you know what they could all be on different earths right. so from that standpoint dcu always has that trump card if you want to play to the nerds sure the people like us that know all of this stuff right the general public is going to be confused by it and be right. like, what? And they <laughs> like, don't even acknowledge it either. You bring up a good point, which is that the nerds like us, we use th- that knowledge to sort of calm the, oh, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? But DC has never, although we will talk about Shazam, never really publicly came out and said, Christopher Nolan's Batman exists on Earth 12. Sure. And Tim Burton's Batman exists on Earth 72. Although, and that's one of the fun parts. And really, it. the reason that probably more people know about that outside of people that read comic books or did research into the DCU is because of the CW and the CW introducing everybody to the concept of different Earths yep. with Supergirl and Arrow and all yep. of that Arrowverse uh, like, stuff. And what was really cool is what they even did is they even went, so they did what we we're talking about. They went back and they said, remember that original Flash show that only lasted for a season in the 1990s? Well, guess what? That was a different Earth and we're bringing that Flash back because we're sure. merging our Earths together. That's cool. Yeah. But it also gives us you know something interesting to talk about as we move forward. I think obviously as we move forward, we'll get a better idea of how Shazam sits in the overall scheme of things. But I actually do like that they're getting away from the idea of, oh, everything's got to be connected. You know, they've waved the white flag. They know they can't do what Marvel's done. They can't do 22 movies with an overarching storyline. They're just incapable of it for whatever reason. And so now they're making all these little Elseworlds movies. You got Matt Reeves making a new Batman movie with a younger Batman that's going to be disconnected. You got this Joker movie coming out. I'm okay with that. Yeah, I think everybody just... Right now, there's such a thirst for long-form storytelling between what you get in HBO and some of the streaming services, as well as what we've gotten from Marvel in the sense that we grow to like certain characters or we really like characters and we want to see more and more of them. And to most moviegoers, it's hard to remain invested and keep reinvesting when the character changes every couple years. Like we were able to grow attached to 
Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man. Right. And Chris Evans as Captain America. Mm-hmm. Like, if Batman continues to change every, like, three or four years, it's hard to have that same attachment to it. So I think as DCU... They probably have gone too far at this point to be able to salvage creating a universe. Um, Sure. And so, you know, they may have to go and, you know, take a different approach than Marvel. Instead of trying to beat them at their own game, try to play a different game. Right. You know, take a different strategy. Something that I suggested, I don't know if I've said it on this podcast, but one of the possibilities is the old James Bond platform which is the next adventure of i actually have heard them comparing the next wonder woman film wonder woman 1984 to a james bond-esque adventure it's another adventure it's an additional adventure where they're not trying to build too deep into the overarching storylines i'm interested in that i think superheroes particularly lend themselves very well Especially if they're well written because there is a plethora of villains that you can pull from with different adventures, different motivations, things like that, that can bring out new characteristics or new challenges to the hero. Well, I think honestly, DCU is at a crossroads that another franchise is in a similar crossroads, which is Star Wars in the Ah. sense that we've been telling this long story for so long like we're kind of boxed into a corner and granted Star Wars hasn't screwed it up like DCU has sure but you're also kind of getting to the end of the road where it's like at some point because there's no source material you're going to start pissing people off about whether this is the way it should happen or things like that right and then you also have all these other small characters that they want to tell stories about but it's really difficult when you've got to stay quote-unquote canon and so obviously they're in a little bit more capable hands and that they're in disney's hands now um than what dcu is but they're in the same to me it's a, a very similar situation where you've got all these uh directors and creators that want to tackle these different subjects like a boba fett movie sure and things like that but if i'm a creative i don't like having to always have to worry about whether what I'm doing, you know, fits into this giant puzzle of 18 movies that have already been done. Like I want to be able to tell the story how I see it and not worry whether everybody thinks it fits with some character that you saw on screen for 45 seconds and you feel like you know what type of person they are. Right. And to offer a counterpoint to that, I would, I would, you know, I think that's a very valid point, and I think that's why you see some directors not wanting to get into that game. But also, I have to imagine that there are some filmmakers who were raised on these types of things who can't help themselves but want to play in that sandbox with these toys, with this availability, with these characters. And they're okay being told, okay, I can do this, but I can't do this. Like They're okay falling within a certain rules or parameters. But we just saw what happens with that with Ryan Johnson. And him getting eviscerated by half of the world yes. for how he took these characters and told it the way that and he loved and felt like compelled to tell the story his way. And when it doesn't match up with other fanboys who uh, envisioned them. it differently, it's like, I don't know. I think I think that 
Ryan Johnson's experience may be a cautionary tell and, and maybe even, you know, scare some people away from maybe. really wanting to dive deep in and even scare away studios, as you see with them going back to JJ and some of the decisions that they're making now. Maybe. So. Yeah, that's that's a good point, too. I do want to say one last thing about Star Wars, which is interesting in that Star Wars still is going off of Ryan Johnson. He's still signed on to do his own trilogy. He's mm-hmm. the, he's going to sprout off and make his own trilogy of films. They got the showrunners of Game of Thrones who are rumored to be making a Knights of the Old Republic trilogy. I like that, too, where you have a universe that is so big that you can get these creatives to be like, tell your own three movie story. That's an interesting approach. See, this too. is this is how much Disney dominates that we're doing a DCU podcast and we still talk about Disney. But ultimately, yeah, it's, it's an actual really good point. But ultimately, it comes back to. How can DC tell their stories, right? Ultimately, that comes back to this. And Shazam has had a long road, you know, and and, and it's hit plenty of speed bumps along that road. They were first developing this film back in the 2000s, and they had William freaking Goldman writing scripts. For those of you who don't know, William Goldman is one of, if not the most beloved screenwriter in Hollywood history. He's a legend. He's written some of the best books on Hollywood and filmmaking. And the fact that William Goldman was working on a Shazam movie way back in the, in the early 2000s is fascinating to me. Uh, and then it got passed around. You know, there were, there, was, there were scripts in the 2000s. The character was renamed in 2012. Part of the New 52 relaunch uh, with DC Comics because the character was originally called Captain Marvel. Obviously, <laughs> that has created some legal uh, hiccups, I guess, between them and Marvel. So they just said, screw it. He says Shazam. His character's name is going to be Shazam now. And going all the way back, God, I can't remember how far back it actually goes to, but. The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, was originally helping develop this. And the idea was that The Rock was either going to play Shazam or Shazam sort of dark, you know, uh, I don't know what the word is, nemesis, I guess for lack of a better word, Black Adam. And eventually Black Adam got removed from this script. They realized that that's too much for one movie. The Rock, I did not realize this, David, is still an executive producer on this film. And they wound up developing this version of it, which is basically superhero big. What would happen if you as a kid got superpowers? What would you do with them? A 14-year-old orphan, right? So let's talk about Shazam, non-spoilery, you know? Uh, It's a pretty basic setup. It's literally one of the easiest elevator pitches. Like, what happens if a 14-year-old kid got the powers, got superpowers? What What would happen? You know, not only that, but grows into an adult superhero, right? Um, And it's an interesting movie. I'll come out right off the bat and say that I enjoyed this movie. I I had a really good time with it. I liked a lot of it. I liked the, uh, the way the action worked. I liked the performances in it and things like that. I liked the, I mean, all the kids are pretty great. Zachary Levi is great. Um, but it's also a little uneven. It's mm-hmm. long, number one. And number two, it's directed by David F. Sandberg, whose history is not in family films. His history is in horror films. Mm-hmm. And there are parts of this movie 
that deal with the villains that are genuinely scary, like in the way that they are depicted, in the way that they are shot, the angles and stuff like that. I was very surprised at how, although I'm into it, like I'm 32, like I'm fine with with a movie that's being aimed at kids going a little dark. I'm okay with that. I think seven-year-old me would have loved like the creatures in this movie and whatnot. But that was one of the things that stuck out to me was it was like, oh, we're going to do ha ha ha, jokey, jokey, jokey. And then we're going to kill all these people and it's going to be moderately terrifying. I found that to be interesting. Yeah, I think for me, performances, most of the major performances I enjoyed, I felt like some of them were kind of, I don't know if the word corny is the right word, but <laughs> didn't seem complete. And, and maybe that had to do more with the storytelling. I think um, some of the the villain in this movie, which is played by Mark Strong, mm-hmm. um, some of his family and that kind of stuff kind of just read a little cheesy to Real me. Real big. Um, Real big. And <laughs> and I, I, I think my biggest, and I enjoyed this movie overall, but I think um, some of the the process in which it went through just left me a little confused of like what this movie was trying to be. Was it trying to be a kid's movie? Was it trying to be kind of like what we've grown for most of the DCU movies, save the successful ones, of being super dark Darker. and like Zack Snyder-esque right. and things like that. But if you watch the previews, it looks like a straight on like comedy, like mm-hmm. almost like Deadpool-esque, like a lot of meta stuff, you know, like that kind of stuff. And then you watch it and it feels like it's got pieces of each of those, but it also has like almost like a family drama within it. Sure. Um, and so it just felt a little odd to me and- as I watched it. Um, there was aspects of it that I really liked. There's definitely quite a few moments I laughed out loud. Sure. Um, Jack Dylan Grazer is great as Freddie. Sure. His, his adoptive, uh, yep. Billy Batson's adoptive brother, I guess. I will say it was pretty predictable. I mean, obviously we've, you know, seen movies that take a lot of these aspects from oh, them. Sure. There's not much that was surprising in this film. I probably... Could have told you without watching spoilers about 15, 20 minutes into it, how how this was going to probably go between the trailers and what we had seen thus far. Okay. Um, But I also thought it was interesting the way that DCU's gone with some of the storytelling, not just in this film. I mentioned how it's got, you know, a lot of family drama and subtext uh, without getting into the spoilers on that. but there seems to be some some lessons about family and what that means. And, and that ties in with some of the comic book uh, references to Shazam and, and that sure. character and that hero. But I think even if you look back to like Wonder Woman, like there's some very specific things about like love versus, you know, war and even just the whole, you know, female hero, you know, yeah. um, the heroine. Um, and then you get to like Aquaman and I think there's even some aspects in there about like, you know, like subtextual, you have like the comments about like how we treat the ocean and stuff like that. Sure. Um, but there's also other things. And it seems like DCU has been getting more and more involved in like telling a specific message in their movies or at least a couple of messages and making that more upfront in the movie and more in your face in the movie than necessarily right. like... I feel like in Marvel, you kind of draw parallels like, 
oh, this reminds me of like the U.S. in the world, like the sure. conundrum that the U.S. has in the world. Or this reminds me of like the current administration or like right. these pop, you the know, African-American these, community. These, these topics that we have that are bigger picture, but sure. we're not going to necessarily like slam it in your face. But like it's not hard to read those. Whereas I feel like DCU is a little bit more upfront about what they're trying to get across and what sure. the moral of this story is. Sure. At least with these recent movies, as you said, uh, one, I don't know what the story of Suicide Squad is for the record. One, well, that's the thing is <laughs> one could argue that now these movies met, like there is a point to them. Sure. You know, because if you remember, like Man of Steel came out and like, what's the point of Man of Steel? Like, remember both in Man of Steel and Batman vs. Superman, like everybody's telling Superman, like, don't be Superman or you don't owe these people anything. Superman kills a guy. Like, what's the point of that? Justice League, what's the point of all of that? Suicide Squad, that movie is insane to think about the way that that film is even structured and what the point is, you know. But you're right. Even though the messages, quote unquote, the messages and DC movies are becoming more and more apparent, at least there are messages. Well, and I think that's leading to them being a little bit more well-received. I think especially film critics, which you can love or hate them, you eh, know. Eh. But I think... We are, one, are not we film critics? One of the things that a lot of t- is the common like beef with comic book movies, because of how many we get, is that it's just an excuse to put a bunch of CGI and fighting on screen like right. there's no moral to this story right. in that and I, think, about? and I think and i think the the early dc movies i can actually get on board with that a little bit like i understand the beef with those a little bit um but i think they have gotten better about not just making about the special effects and what you're putting on screen and all the fighting and that kind of stuff and having a little bit more substance to the story than just telling the origin of this hero. Absolutely. And 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 to me, and again, we'll get into spoilers in just a couple of minutes, but the family stuff hit really well near the end of the film. Like I, I I'm in. I bought into it. They got me. You know, I got a little, it got a little dusty. In it the was theater. about 50-50 for me. At the end, when we get into spoilers, I'll talk about what worked in the okay, family okay, stuff and what okay. didn't for I'm me. Into but it. I, I definitely agree. It, 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 it worked in aspects. It worked in aspects of it, and and I did enjoy the performances to kind of wrap it up. I like the fact that we have both Mark Strong and Jaiman Hansau in here, who are no stranger to comic book movies. Mark Strong played bad guys in literally Kick Ass. In Green Lantern, although he was a good guy who was then supposed to turn bad, but that never happened. Now he's in this. Shaman Hansa was in Aquaman. He was like the fish king. You probably couldn't mm-hmm. recognize him. Mm-hmm. And he was Korath in the Guardians of the Galaxy and mm-hmm. in Captain Marvel. So these guys getting those those comic book paychecks. I really like Zachary Levi, um, although I could tell his suit was a little enhanced. I, I like I don't that's not all Zachary Levi. That being said, I thought he did great with Which the Which areas do you think were enhanced? Shoulders, biceps. I I guarantee you that's not all Zachary Levi. <laughs> I guarantee you. I'm not gonna like I'm not gonna because this is not a visual podcast, right? I'm not gonna take like pictures of Zachary Levi at the premiere and pictures of him like as Shazam and point out the discrepancies between his shoulder sizes. Suffice it to say, not big enough. Okay. Okay. 
There's anyway. a lot of comments I could make right now, but that's we'll fine. keep it moving. That's fine. We'll keep it moving. Um, and that's not a knock against him because he fills the suit well. He does a very good job. Um, I liked Asher Angel as the older Billy. I liked how he, or uh, the younger Billy, excuse me, how he balanced between being like, oh, he's the... He's the orphan kid who doesn't play by the rules, but also like being somebody who is worthy of Shazam's power. Um, I like, you know, and Jack Dylan Grazer's was really good. Like, I just liked him. He's that he's that great audience surrogate for an audience that is not uneducated anymore right we are an audience that are used to superheroes so we don't need an audience surrogate who's like what is this all about i'm confused he's our audience surrogate explaining that like oh we get the world he's he's repeating it back to us and i thought that was really clever um but let's talk about our popcorn ratings for Shazam before we get into spoilers before we give our popcorn ratings if you've never listened to an episode of the popcorn diet before we rate movies a little bit differently we rate them by popcorns and we have five different categories we have burnt popcorn which means it's garbage don't waste your time we have stale popcorn which is like eh, I mean if you got to maybe don't spend money on it but if it's free if it's like a 99 cent rental or if it's on Netflix or whatever like you could do worse kind of microwave popcorn is middle of the road it's fine you know sometimes microwave popcorn can be really good sometimes it could be not so great your mileage may vary on microwave popcorn it's okay we have movie theater popcorn which is pretty darn good you should go see this in a movie theater you should take the time out Go enjoy the theater experience. Get some movie theater popcorn. Sit down, watch it on a big screen. And then we have perfect popcorn, which is go out, see this movie as soon as possible with the biggest, freshest, butteriest popcorn that you can. So all that being said, David, what would you say is your popcorn rating for Shazam? This is one where I could really use a soda. Um, We don't have a halfway mark. We really got to establish a halfway mark here. But because I would go... Three and a half. Okay. Um, if you force me to go one direction or the other, go up to four, down to three, I probably am at three. Interesting. Um, just because it didn't quite gel together? Yeah, there was just a lot of like issues I had with it. And maybe on rewatching, it would go up to four. Um, but I felt like the challenge in all movies that want to be funny is that there was a decent amount of like the quote unquote good jokes that were in ah. previews and things like that. Okay. Which I think always hurts a good movie. Uh good comedy if too many of your best jokes are in, in the previews. Right. You don't want um, all your good bits exactly. Um in the trailer. And then I thought there was just kind of uneven on some of the acting as well as um some of the storytelling. But again, I think for where it fits in for me in DC universe i mean i still probably put it like obviously it's not wonder woman it's not aquaman um but it's but just it's, below those. it's probably you know it's probably leading the pack of the the ones below that okay um for me um you know i'd have to go back and watch some of those again but <laughs> my memory doesn't serve favorable to sure. all the original ones um definitely batman v superman's towards oh. the bottom and as is uh, Suicide Squad. But 
Um, again, I think it's still a step in the right direction. Like I would go see a sequel to this if they decide to do more of this. Sure. You know, I, I think obviously the hope is that, you know, everybody wants to see the rock as black Adam. And if you do that, it's most likely Shazam, um, and black Adam. Now there's a lot of ways you can take it in the history of black Adam without going down that road of like, you could have a different person being Shazam for that story. So um, since this isn't necessarily, there's only one Shazam type of thing. Mm-hmm. So, but in general, like I said, I liked it. You know, if, if you like these type of movies, it's worth going and seeing the theater. I'm always going to advocate that. But I also would say if you're not really into these movies or you're, we're on the fence with it, you're probably not going to hate yourself if you wait and watch it. On- this isn't the one to convert necessarily. Yeah. Uh, I, it's funny because I agree with a lot of what you said, but I'm giving it movie theater popcorn. Um, I like the jokes that were there. I like the action that was there. I can definitely sense there was a certain level of unevenness. There's wild swings between tone and things like that. But I still had a really good time. I enjoyed it. It managed to check off all the boxes of a superhero film. The family stuff really hit me a little bit more effectively than I anticipated. I would put this right underneath Wonder Woman and Aquaman. They're clearly the two best films in this. I would put it right underneath them, parallel with Man of Steel, probably even with Man of Steel, and then everything else below that, Suicide Squad, Justice League, and then Batman vs. Superman down at the bottom. The nice thing is is that Warner Brothers is starting to embrace what their characters are. Like This is very much, Shazam is very much Shazam. There's not really anything that is different. Now, granted, he's not as well known as someone like Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, stuff like that. But the fact that they are not like turning Superman into a killer or Batman into a killer and they're actually depicting their heroes as they as we know them, as we expect them, I think goes a long way. So I enjoyed this movie a lot. I think like what David said. If you're into superhero movies, you should check this out. If you're not into superhero movies, this might not be the one to convert you. Although I do think there is enough comedy and enough of the family elements and enough something different. You know, the whole kid shouting out the words Shazam and turning into an adult superhero. That could prove to be a decent gateway. Now, before we get into spoilers, I want to make sure that we take a quick little ad break. What is up, all you good movie buddies? Before we get going, I want to remind you, remind everyone that you can get regular episodes of The Popcorn Diet for free on whatever you are listening to us on just by hitting that subscribe button, following us wherever you're listening. Take a minute. Take just a second out of your day. Give us a rating. Throw five stars up there. Write us a review. Share with your friends. Share with the other good movie buddies so we can build the good movie buddy community. Speaking of community, we also want to remind you to check us out on Patreon by going to Patreon. Patreon.com slash the popcorn diet and consider donating, becoming a patron, giving a couple bucks toward the podcast. Not only is that going to help us continue doing the podcast and improving it, but it's also going to get you access to patron only episodes, ad free episodes, early episodes, really, really cool stuff that we have planned for the podcast, but only if you go to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet and become a patron. Of course, we don't want you to forget that you can also follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram at the popcorn diet. And last but certainly not least, you can find all of our latest regular episodes, articles, reviews, and more on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. But now we get to talk about spoilers, David. And so I had some stuff like, obviously I want to talk about the Easter eggs and I want to get more into the DC 
DCU and stuff like that. I wanted to talk about the creepy scenes, like the boardroom scene where the seven deadly sins killed the whole boardroom and the way that they shot that with the fogged glass, which was very like, oh, okay. Like, this is creepy, that kind of stuff. But I'm more interested in all of the little intricacies that that you and the issues that you had with it. I know one that we <laughs> one that we had talked about was the fact that this is it's set in wintertime. It's set during so Christmas. Is this a Christmas movie? I think it is. I mean, it's not as centrally. I mean, one could argue it plays just as much as of a role as Die Hard. If Die Hard's a Christmas movie, this has to be a Christmas movie. I mean, movie. Santa regularly is interviewed. It's in the film. We get a... There's trees. They're lighting trees and shit. Yeah. The ending is at a... In the house, there's lots of decorations. Christmas they focus carnival. in on the wreath. There's a Christmas carnival. I read up um, on this, though. This was actually not delayed. Because you and I thought... We had speculated... That this was going to be released on an Aquaman slot. It wasn't. Of course it wasn't delayed because it's just DCU and they suck. Um, so, Whoa, that's, um, that's I mean, who, it's, I mean, you might as well have released it in May and What's the other, told people Christmas uh, movie. Cinderella Man is the one that came out that was set mostly in the wintertime and then released it in June. And I thought that that really hurt it. I don't think this affects this film as much, but it is weird. But, it, I mean, if you think of even something like Aquaman, like Aquaman could have been released at any time because it's all underwater. Like, there is no seasons underwater. Right, or at like, least they go to the desert. Like, they go to the Sahara. Yeah, it. Aquaman screams way more of, like, a spring-summer movie than right. than this movie. This screams of something that should have been re- released in... November, even October or November. Although, in their defense, that region of the country is still getting snow right now sometimes. Yeah, but there's not Christmas decorations up. Like, literally, at least half of the movie, you see Christmas prevalent throughout the film, which is just a little weird. Um, that was more of a minor thing. That would never make me. No, but it's know, interesting. Hate, but it's, does it, that tie more into the family it, conversation? It ties more into family. Um, absolutely. I mean, family hits home more around the holidays sure. and things like that. Sure. Yada yada yada. Um, and that brings me to like I think my next thing that it was kind of like I didn't really know whether this was a family movie, whether it was meant to be. You know, the director from this comes from movies like Lights Out. Which I love. Um, Lights did, Out was great. He did an Annabelle movie, um, so he comes more from that horror thriller genre. Um, and the same thing with his cinematographer and the music. Benjamin Walfish does the music. They all come from the horror. And it, genre. and it comes through in scenes like the you know I definitely can see it in aspects of when they're in that whatever cave or wherever they go to where Jaimon is and they go back to it a couple times. Like uh-huh. there's aspects of that that feel like that when and we're not gonna go into this just yet, but we will when they're opening the doors. Like there's some very dark aspects of this film. Mm-hmm. Um obviously the boardroom is very dark. Um even I would argue, you know, the opening scene when they're sure. driving in the car and they crash and like his kid's just getting ripped into it by his brother and dad. And obviously, you know, we're seeing... I didn't even realize dad was going to make it from that accident. He right. looked like he was done. Because he's launched... It's, it's he's this. launched through a window and his head is bleeding on the <laughs> pavement. 
And and the first thing they can think of do, to do is turn to the kid who winds up being the villain. I actually like that they gave him somewhat of a tragic backstory. Sure. But that literally the first thing they turn to him, dad is bleeding in the snow and he turns. He's like, this is your fault. And I'm like. Shazam! We're not even five minutes in. It was just Damn. a very heavy-handed start to like this film, <laughs> um, but there was like aspects of that that were very <laughs> dark, um, and just seemed, I don't know, a little out of place with when then we're going to like all these different scenes of them like messing around with him figuring out his powers. Like sure. they didn't feel it didn't really flow, and then we get like these super heavy scenes of like being a foster kid looking for his mom, you know, going door to, you know, to all these doors trying to find his mom and it not being his mom, finally finding his mom and his mom not wanting him. Like all these things are like super heavy stuff. Like I said, you could take out some of the action scenes and this could be a lifetime movie. Like true. It's heavy stuff. And so for me, that was one of my biggest issues with it and why maybe I rated it lower is that like it didn't feel like all these pieces fit together into a cohesive movie um, or at least not like it didn't flow great to me. It's not the sum of its parts. Yeah. Like even like like it was an extended scene when he goes and finds his mom. Right. But like we're in the middle of this climax with or at least the start of what the climax was in the fact that like all his foster siblings are currently being held by Savannah. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You're right. It's, it's, it's weird. And and you bring up a really good point because I, and I think you would, you would agree maybe that the individual parts are effective. The scary parts are scary. Yeah. The funny parts are funny. The heavy parts are heavy. Even like, and even like, and maybe it was, I don't know if it was the acting or the storytelling or maybe it was a combo of both, but like the whole like where he loses his mom and that like, even the way that like it felt in it, like it felt like I was watching a Lifetime movie to some (laughs) point. Like it felt a little cheesy. Sure. Um, like we're gonna don't worry kid we'll find your mom you know like right, all that with the and then like then you have to flash back and basically relive the entire scene again with just a small added portion like right. it it screamed of something that maybe could have used a little bit more editing because like you said this movie's fairly long uh it's, it's like two hours and 12 minutes like you could have easily chopped this up a little bit not leaned as heavy into some of this family stuff or sure. at least edited out some of that and I think it would have flowed a little bit better but again I mean these are just the things that made me it not be like as good as as what I felt like it could be there was still a lot of really funny parts that I enjoyed and really a lot of aspects that I I thought were fun I thought the whole dynamic of almost telling the big story in a Superman story and even having the ode to big was fun with the whole piano and the the toy store. Yep. Um, yep. Some of that was, you know, obviously a lot of fun and, and, and I enjoyed, um, and there was aspects of it where I felt like this movie has heart, like some of the scenes in the school and, and things like that. Like Mm -hmm. I appreciated that. It, It, that's where it felt like one of those, you know, feel good kids movies at times. Right. But then I got times where monsters are like biting off heads of board members and like, 
I'm not sure if this is a kid's movie. Like, I'm not sure if I would want an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old in there. I know you and your mind would want to be in there as an eight- or nine-year-old, <laughs> but I don't know if it's necessarily appropriate for them, you know? So True. that's where it was just kind of, you know, all over the place for me. Sure. I, I like, I think I think you're right. I mean, I, it's hard to dispute that. I just don't think I was as affected by it. Like, I mean, it's... Like we said, you know, the kid the kid parts were fun. The Zachary Levi parts were fun. But there are moments where the Zachary Levi parts feel so disconnected from like it's cutting back and forth. Right. You have all the Zachary Levi parts, which are like fun. We're discovering our superpowers. We're doing we're super on YouTube, which also I have a question just to, as a little aside yep. here. Right. The superheroes no longer call Captain Marvel. His name is Shazam. They make a joke throughout the film like they can't give him a name, right? Yeah. But his name is Shazam. It's in the credits. How yeah. can he tell people his name? He can't. He needs Freddy to or somebody to because every time he says the name, he yeah. reverts back to a boy. Sure. Anyway, I liked that stuff. I liked showing what like a modern kid would do with those powers like they would use it to be rich be famous make make money you know and that's there's a lesson in and of itself when his he's doing his lightning powers and getting money for it and that was right on the edge of like i'm starting to hate this kid sure i'm starting to hate this character but then they turn it where he accidentally crashes the bus has to save the bus and then freddie tells him like you didn't do it. You saved the pro. You stopped the problem you caused, right? Mm-hmm. But I am starting to realize how all of those Zachary Levi scenes, and even when Doctor Savannah shows up, and there's like a fun play where he's doing his his villain monologue, but he's standing so far away that yeah. Shazam's like, "I can't hear you. What? What are you saying?" Yeah. And the Savannah stuff is so dark in between. It's like fun, fun comedy, fun, fun comedy. And then suddenly woman being burned to ash. Yeah. It's like, whoa, yeah. it's big swings there. Yeah. Um, you brought up another interesting point, which I want to talk about as we kind of wrap this up here, which is the overall universe. And obviously, you know, we talked about the references. Bat, Batflex Batarang shows up like that is the Batarang they have. It's the same Batarang that. Ben Affleck's Batman uses. Mm-hmm. Superman has a cameo in this film from the neck down when he walks in and he's wearing the Justice League suit, mm-hmm. even though we know that's not Henry Cavill. That was actually uh, Zachary Levi's stunt double mm-hmm. in the suit. The animated credits at the end have Wonder Woman, Aquaman. They have the Justice League mm-hmm. all there. And it's it's. Uh, Jason Momoa Aquaman, mm-hmm. you know, so there are those references. But you brought up an interesting thing, which I forgot, which is the doors. There's a sequence where they're running from Savannah and they run into mm-hmm. this room that is full of doors. Yep. And they start opening them up. And number one, again, the things in the doors are friggin' terrifying. But number two, multiple dimensions, baby. Yep. Multiple worlds, multiple Earths. We got a world where there's. Crocodiles or alligators playing poker or something like uh, we got another one with some like weird cosmic evil snake thing. Yeah, that's Uh, the only thing I was bummed at is that like everything in those doors was weird and scary. I wanted to see one where it was just like, well, and it didn't feel like those things behind those doors were like. Like we talked about how Marvel has all these other worlds. Sure. Like. Like, yes, we have, from CW knowledge, we have, like, the gorilla world where, like, 
Right. It's all smart talking gorillas took over yeah. Earth. Yeah. But like the others, the stuff in this one seemed like way out there, like from Sandberg's mind of his horror movies and stuff like that. Like, and not necessarily like maybe, and, and maybe there is a world of alligators that play poker. Um, and I just don't know the comics as well, but like, I mean, I guess we got, what's the, uh, the guy from uh, suicide squad croc. What's his Killer name? Croc. Killer Croc. Yeah. I mean, maybe those guys were related to Killer Croc. I don't know. Um, Technically, there's 52 Earths now. There I are. Think. There are. There's a lot of them. There can always be more. But, I mean, why not? There could could be more. We technically don't even know where this place is that they keep going that he gets the power in the first place. The lair. Like, the lair. Like, we have no idea where this lair is because right. we get on these this car. We, we get in this car. We got on this train. We snap back there sometimes like we don't even know necessarily where this is. If it's on Earth, is it in this other dimension? Like that's all kind of fuzzy. Um, All you have to do is walk through this door that's got some writing on it and symbols symbols, and you go there. So, again, that's kind of the stuff that, you know, obviously could open the door to more. But also in this setting you know, kind of creates a little bit of confusion because nothing's really given to you to help explain. Like normally in an origin story, they do a good job of explaining some of the major factors that contribute to it. This were kind of like taken to these places and just kind of asked to accept. Like, I don't know, like I guess that little energy sphere that is unlocked and leads to the seven deadly sins coming out. Like I guess... Like, I don't really understand that. We're kind of just led to accept that. Right. They're held within there. I don't know necessarily, like, how the seven deadly sins could get out Is if that the Shazam went away. Like, there's all these different things in, within there that are, are interesting to me. But It's um, the eye of sin. Yeah. So the Rock of Eternity is the lair itself. Yeah. That's the Rock of Eternity. And the seven deadly sins are captured in this eye of sin, which they're like gargoyles. They're like stored sure. up as gargoyles. So yeah, that's that, what. He's, and that's why but we only know that from reading up on it. Exactly, and that's why like the eye goes into his eye. His eye, right? Um, but at the same time, like I don't understand necessarily. You know, it talks about how Jaimon's character is you know, fading and he's not strong enough anymore right. to like keep them from coming in. But from everything I can tell, they're stuck in that little orb, you know, and maybe the wizard created that orb that protects it. And I, sure. I don't know from that standpoint, but at the same time, it's like, I don't really understand it. So sure. like, that's, I think a problem sure. that DCU regularly runs into is that some of their stuff is so seated in the comic books that like you're just asked to accept it or sure. you should read up and learn why that is the way it is. Whereas I feel like Marvel's most of their stuff is explained for you. Like right. we get explained the arc reactor that's in Tony Stark's chest. Right. Like we get the origin of that. We're not just asked to accept. Now we are asked to accept that that turns into <laughs> being able to do lots of different things, sure. but you're basically given the backstory of Tony Stark is this and, genius. And you get the benefit of the MCU not being full of superpowers and needing origins and things like that. Like, you don't need Hawkeye's an assassin. He's really good with the bow. It's all you need to know. 
But like know? even Thor, like we at least got the backstory on Thor. Right. And we've gotten details on his hammer and even into Infinity War, like we finally got details on where his hammer was formed sure. and that led to him going and getting his his axe and, you know, things like that. And so um, I just feel like it's just another example of like DCU kind of rushing things. Like I thought Wonder Woman took a step in the right direction in okay. really explaining it. And even Aquaman to some point, like there right, was they explain the tridents. Like, why is this one better than this one? They do a good job of that. But exactly. Aquaman was two and a half hours. In, long. But in this one, it's two hours and 12 minutes. But they we don't, don't really explain much. like where all this crap comes from. Right. Like, and we're just kind of thrust into it. Instead, we get 40 minutes probably of like family time, which again is is a central theme of sure. the movie. But like we literally watched that whole carnival scene that you get in the beginning twice, twice, right? Because you need that new context. I like the fan. I mean, I love the like when they finally turn into the Shazam family. Yeah, I enjoyed um, that aspect. So here's a fun fact. Did you know this? Did you pick up the two Easter eggs in the casting there? So I know you like your Easter eggs and whatnot, sure. but and we talked about Batman and Superman and how they show up. But two of the Marvel family people mm-hmm. are played by Adam Brody. Mm-hmm. Adam Brody plays uh, Shazam, Freddie Freeman, and DJ Katorna. How do I pronounce his last name? Uh, DJ Katrona. Katrona. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Adam Brody cast when. George Miller, who made Mad Max, was going to make Justice League Unlimited. Mm-hmm. He had Army Hammer as Batman. Mm-hmm. He had Common as Green Lantern. He had Adam Brody as The Flash. And he had DJ Catrona uh, as Superman. Okay. So they we got some... Some deep, deep DC Easter eggs in that those two guys were originally supposed to be Justice League guys. But now they're cast as yeah. them. So and, and I he, love that little bit. I was like, sure. Ooh. And it, but even like, you know, kind of coming, you know, the last thing I'll kind of say that kind of led to it is even some of the predictability. I mean, it didn't take a genius to figure out. And I knew nothing about Shazam going into this, but it was pretty easy to sense pretty early on when you saw the empty chairs in that room. Okay. And then you saw how many. F- foster siblings he had uh-huh. like it was pretty easy to be like okay like well, and also I, didn't, wearing... I didn't i didn't even know that there was other sure. heroes to this like a shazam super team like i didn't even know didn't that know about the shazam but it was family. pretty easy to be like okay like that's probably gonna like his foster yeah. kids are probably gonna be the shazam family i like family. that they wore like um, prime colors too, like Darla, who's great. Yeah, Darla the was little, great. The little sister's great. She wears purple. Ian the Chen Asian, was good as uh, they, they were all really the good. Asian but they, kid. They all wear their colors. Sure, and I appreciated that as some Power Ranger style shit there. I also think this movie kind of reminded one aspect of it that it reminded me of was uh, the Jumanji movie in the sense that it's almost like kids in adult bodies. Kids in adult bodies, and so like you have these adult actors having to portray eight-year-olds and 14-year-olds and stuff like that. And so it kind of carried on what that Jumanji movie did Mm -hmm. as well. Let me ask you one final question before we wrap it up. Would you have, you feel like you would have understood more had Shaq 
played the wizard. Absolutely. Shazam. I think it would have been fantastic. It would have been amazing. <laughs> Shimon's already got plenty of superhero money. This wasn't a difficult role. Even Shaq could have pulled off that role. You like, put, And one could argue that Shimon wasn't that great in that role anyways. I mean, like, it's a small role. I mean, all you do is act old and, the hair and act the upset. Beard. Like, I mean, I'm sorry, but like he... I didn't. I wasn't really believing his beard and all the hair stuff, anyway. So why not put a big seven-two foot shack in there and give Say him a beard and that? Name. Like, I mean, I think it would have been funnier to hear Shaq go say my name to this tiny little kid. Like, I feel like it would have just been so much more enjoyable. <laughs> You're already going for laughs in this we movie. We got deep cuts. Why not bring in Shaq to play the full, original Shazam? Full I don't know. Circle. Although I will say, and I think you can agree, Jaiman is probably a little bit better at delivering the history lesson that we get with a little hologram Black Adam ca- uh, cameo sure. than Shaq might have been. Suffice it to say, I don't think Shaq could give out the exposition at that effectively. I think he could have figured it out. It's just a read. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't have, he didn't have to do any acting while he told that long story. It was just a That would have blown a read. Our like 30, 30 like our age yeah. would have lost their freaking minds. I'm like, telling you. Shaq played Kazam and now he's playing Shazam. Absolutely. And would throw Sinbad in there and Why didn't we get Sinbad cameo? Oh like, my god. Sin you know who Sinbad should have been in this movie? He should have been the Santa. Oh no. <laughs> He would have been hilarious in that I role. I was hoping you weren't going to say, like, did I actually like the parents, too? Yeah, like, I, I like, thought the parents were good. No, I, we, hell, heck no. We couldn't have had no. him as the parent. No. He would have been perfect as the Santa because I felt like they were trying to make us really laugh at the Santa and a couple of his things were funny and some of them right, were, like, it's also like all right, a little over Santa. the top. And then we randomly get this gingerbread person right. that's at the end scene waving to the Shazam family, but then later... The gingerbread full costume is getting taken into the ambulance. I don't know if you saw that, but I, did, I randomly I did noticed not see, that. I did not it's, see that. It's it like quickly flashes to a gingerbread person like waving uh-huh. to the Shazam family at the end, and then when Santa's being interviewed on the news, you know, on that part yeah, yeah, when yeah. he's going, he's going crazy uh-huh. in the back. You there see were the freaking things. And you see the out. gingerbread person in full costume mm-hmm. getting pulled into the ambulance. But I didn't anyways. see that. There's a lot of funny stuff in this movie. When they hand the robbers the guns back, they're like, oh, shoot him in the face. Oh, yeah, here, try yeah. again. That's I enjoyed just, that. It was fun. good stuff. So, well, you know, it's a good movie. You know, if you're into superheroes, if you're into all the DC stuff, check it out. I mean, it's not going to be a waste of your time. I think it's a good way to spend your time at the movies. You might not want to bring your little kids. Then again, if you were like me, and I mean, I saw Jurassic Park when I was seven, so I can handle monsters eating people. Um, but some might not be able to. So, you know, it is what it is. Uh, before we wrap it up, though, I want to remind everybody that you can get regular episodes of The Popcorn Diet delivered to you for free just by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening from. Take a minute. Hit that review. Hit that five stars. Write us a review. Share it, Share us with your friends. Share us with your family. Also, don't forget to check us out on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Diet and consider donating some money to the podcast. Help keep us going and get you some exclusive stuff, episodes, merch, things like that. We don't want you to forget that you can also follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram at The Popcorn Diet. And last but certainly not least... You can find all of our latest regular episodes, articles, reviews, and more at our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. But 
for the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn. I am your very best good movie buddy, Rick Williamson. And we'll see you next time with another good movie on the Popcorn Diet. Adios.